Hey, before we conclude our three-part series on the amazing grace of God, I do want to touch um, base on what's happening next week. Next week is Mother's Day, in case you weren't aware of that. Uh, it is Mother's Day, and for Mother's Day, we have a photo booth. We bring in a photographer. We set up this really incredible photo opportunity. So uh, if you're a mother or someone like a mother or you have people in your life that you would simply like to take a photo with, and that is available to you next week. It's just a gift uh, to you to walk away with a small token of... Um, of the love that uh, with, is within your family and within your friends. So uh, come and join us on Mother's Day. It's going to be a really great uh, morning in part because of that, but even more so, I'm so excited about this because we are starting a four-week conversation on the vision that God has given us for the next three to five years of Restoration Church. Where is God taking us as a church? Um, what is the short-term plan? What is the long-term three to five-year plan? It's going to be so much fun. Uh, God is calling us to do some really, really fun things, to reach our community some community in some really unique ways, and I cannot wait to unveil all that God has placed upon our hearts um, to you all in this series beginning next week. So you do not want to miss the next four weeks here at Restoration Church. But today we are in part three, again, of uh, The Amazing Grace of God. So let, let me ask you a question to begin our time together. Uh, what do you call a group of lying, cheating, greedy, covetous, lustful, porn-watching, tax-dodging, racist, jealous, judgmental, lonely, angry people who eat too much, spend too much, drink too much, medicate too much, worry and smoke too much, but gather together because they believe Jesus is the light of the world and they need more light? The church. Now, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you responded the way you did because a lot of people do not get that impression of the church. A lot of people think, well, the church, no, that's where all the holy and the righteous people go. That's where all the perfect people gather together. And certainly, that list cannot describe you. And by the way, if I did not uh, have an adjective that describes you off on that on the list, I apologize for that. Feel free to insert... <laughs> Feel free to insert something upon that list that describes uh, the way that sin manifests itself in your life. Um, but we are not perfect, right? We are not perfect. But for so long, um, the world has looked at Christians and they said, well, no, the Christians are the ones who, who put on the mask of perfection. And we are the ones who present ourselves to the world in such a perfect way. But, but then behind closed doors, of course, we take off the mask and we live like the rest of the world. And then when the truth is unveiled, when the truth is revealed, you know, when reports come out and the media shows that, you know, another pastor has fallen, another priest has fallen, another priest did this, another pastor did that, people are shocked as if we are supposed to be perfect people. So if you showed up today thinking that you were going to be surrounded by a bunch of perfect people, I so sorry to burst your bubble this morning. We are not a group of perfect people. In fact, if you showed up today and thought uh, that you're not going to fit in church, but then you realize that maybe one of these adjectives on this list describe you, then we are so glad that you have joined us today. So glad that you're here. But it's interesting to me when people talk about the church as an institution rather than a gathering of people, real people. You know, perhaps the reason the church has received such a bad reputation throughout the years is because the church has presented itself as a group of perfect people who are therefore without the need of grace rather than a group of imperfect people who rely on grace for everything we do. We are not perfect, and we must be the first to declare that and recognize that. Because the more we recognize how off-balance we are, right? God has set the standard of perfection before us, and we just fall so short of that, right? We are not perfect people. We fall short in the way that we offend people, and we hurt people, and offend God, and hurt people, and our depravity is so deep. The more that we recognize how off-balance the scale is, and how deeply, deeply sinful we are, the more amazing and the more beautiful grace is going to appear to you. 
It's just the truth. I think of Paul writing to the Corinthians. He's boasting about not what he has accomplished. He's boasting about his weaknesses. He's boasting about his sin. It's so odd, right? He didn't justify his sin. He didn't excuse his sin away. He didn't blame somebody else for his sin. He declared, here's how I am weak. Here's how I am frail. Here's how I have fallen short. Here's how I have sinned. Here are my insecurities. And then he heard Jesus respond back. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Grace, undeserved, unearned, unearnable favor. It can't be bought or gained through work. It is simply a gift that is given freely. And grace, my friends, will change everything for you and your relationships. Grace will change it all. It's what is so unique and special about the Christian faith because grace reconciles sinners to a holy God. And there is no logical reason that grace should reconcile sinners, that we should be reconciled to God. There is no reason that that should be true because all have fallen short of God's standard. All have failed to live up to God's expectation for us. All have abandoned. All are sinners. None of us deserve a relationship with God, and yet grace reconciles sinners to a holy God. Isn't that amazing? Can I get an amen? That should be amazing, my friends. That is amazing. The amazing grace of God. And not only that, grace, um, you know, it, it picks those up who have fallen and it sets us upright, but it doesn't just leave us there. It, it commissions us and it challenges us to move forward with a new vocation. It calls us forward. It, it entrusts us now with a new life to live. It is amazing. Certainly it is amazing. And within the context of relationship, grace becomes amazing when it is, it is extended to other people who may not deserve it like we don't deserve it, who may not, you know, uh, who certainly haven't earned it, you know, through their good works, but grace becomes amazing when we can extend grace in the same manner that we have been extended grace. In this way, God's amazing grace is an invitation to be amazing. Don't you guys want to be amazing? Grace, my friends, is your avenue to being amazing. It is our greatest opportunity relationally to be amazing. But here's the rub, isn't it? Extending grace to other people is so hard isn't it? I mean, think about all the people that have hurt you throughout the years. Think about all the people who have slighted you over the years. Think about all the people who are on the list of people that you would like. (laughs) Let's just be honest. And not only that, right, extending grace to certain kinds of people. It's not just individuals, it's groups of people and people who exhibit certain behaviors and who have done X, Y, and Z to the past. This is not easy to do. But Jesus tells us why. Jesus tells us why extending grace is so challenging. In one of the most challenging teachings, Jesus cuts straight to the heart of the issue, and he tells us exactly why extending grace to others is so difficult. And so are you ready for it? Are you ready for the question that he's going to ask? Are you guys sure you're ready for this? Because you're not going to like it. It's not going to feel good. It's going to hit you maybe in some spots that you have been kind of covering and protecting for a long time. And just remember, as I say this question, it's not me asking this. This is Jesus asking this, all right? So don't shoot the messenger, all right? He asked this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? (laughs) Jesus, can't we just talk about prayer or love or something? Can't we just... (sighs) Friends, why do you focus? Why, Why do you look? Why is all your attention and all your ambition and all you get so ramped up and amped up and you put so much emotion into all the little things that they do wrong? 
and the speck in their eye, but you don't pay any attention to your attitudes and your dispositions and your habits and your problems. You don't pay any attention to the plank that's in your eye. To which you might say, well, Ross, I'll tell you why, because it is not a speck in their eye. They are a Democrat. (laughs) They are a Republican. I went by their house. They were watching CNN. He was watching Fox News. That is not a sawdust. That is a freaking forest, man. Come on. (laughs) Or maybe it's a little more personal for you. And your response is, no, it's not a speck of sawdust. It's not something minuscule. It's not little. My dad left when I was eight years old, and he never looked back. And my mom had to raise three kids with none of his help. And then when he was old, and he was sick, and he was dying, he came crawling back asking for help. And I'm sorry, that is not a speck of sawdust. Ross, you have no idea what he did to me. You have no idea what she did to me. You have no idea how I have been hurt by what they did to me. You have absolutely no idea. That is not a speck of sawdust. And rightfully so. I mean, I mean we, maybe we should get defensive around this, right? I mean, Jesus, how would he ever know what we've been through? There's no way that he knows what we've been through. He doesn't even know your story. And secondly, Jesus, yeah, um, okay, first, that's not a speck of sawdust. And secondly, I don't have a plank in my eye. Other people might have planks in their eye, but I don't have a plank in my eye. I'm a realist. I, I know reality. I see things clearly. I know how the world really works. I know what's going on. Come on, you don't have a plank in your eye, do you? You don't have a log in your eye, do you? You don't have a forest in your eye, do you? You're not in any way influenced by your upbringing or your environment that you grew up in, are you? These things couldn't possibly taint the way you see the world or the people around you. You're not influenced by your experience or your education or your health or your lack of health. Or you're not influenced in any way in how you see the world or the people around you based on your success or your failures or your insecurities or your IQ or your EQ. You're not influenced by any of this stuff. These things don't influence the way you see the world. Jesus isn't talking to you even, is he? You don't have a plank in your eye. Other people may have planks in their eye, but you don't have a plank in your eye, do you? Jesus isn't even talking to you. Perhaps. But he's also not finished quite yet. How can you say to your brother, uh, your brother-in-law, or your sister-in-law, or your ex-husband, or your ex-wife, or your child, or your husband, or your wife, Or your boss at work, or the person that you can't stand at work, or the person that used to be your friend but took your stuff, or the person that used to be your friend but then took your girl. How can you say to that person, let me take the speck out of your eye. Let me help you see clearly. Let me help you see the way the world actually is. Let me tell you how the world works. Let me tell you what you ought to do. Let me tell you what you should have done instead of doing what what you actually did. That left you where you are today. Let me help you see the world clearly because I see the world clearly because after all, I'm not the one with a plank in my eye. When all the time that you've been critical, when all the time when you've had this attitude, when all the time that you've been condemning, when all the time there is a plank in your eye. And then, 
And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this doesn't actually apply to you. You can just play along here. This is for us who follow Jesus. This next part may be the world's favorite Bible verse in all of Scripture, though. They don't even know that Jesus said this, but if they do, they would clap their hands. They would rejoice because they feel the exact same way. With two simple words, Jesus lays it all out. He says, you hypocrite. And all the unchurched people are like, finally, someone's putting them in their place. Finally, someone's revealing the truth, calling these people hypocrites. Who said that? Oh, Jesus said that? Jesus calls his own people hypocrites, yeah. You fall shorter. You sinner. You did it on purpose, sir. Over and over and over again, you did it. You tried to cover it up, or Now, you hypocrite. Do you know why God is able to extend grace to you? In spite of who you are, do you know why God is able to extend grace and why grace is such an amazing thing to you in spite of you? Do you know why God is willing to give to you what you don't deserve, even though he knows better than anybody what you do actually deserve? Do you know why God doesn't overlook sin and why God chooses to forgive your sin and to treat you even as if you have never sinned? Do you know why he decided to send his son into the world to pay for your sins and to reconcile you, a sinner, to himself, a holy God? Because he could see you for exactly who you are. He could see you for exactly who you are and everything that you have ever done and everything that has ever been done to you. He sees it all. And my friends, as scary as that might sound to you, that is the beauty of God's grace, is that he sees it all. He knows everything. He knows all about your upbringing. He knows all about your dad and your stepdad. He knows all about what they did to you. He knows what was said about you. He knows about the bullies in school. He knows about the environment you were forced into and the environment that you were taken out of. And he knows all the people that you've chosen to surround yourself with. He knows all that and he gets all of that. He knows what you've experienced and what you've done and what has been done to you. He understands your health challenges and how that has set you back. He knows why it's been more difficult for you. He knows what success has done to you. He knows what failure has done to you. He understands the connection between what happened to you as a child and how that has played out in your adulthood. He knows of your insecurities. He knows the opportunities you missed and the ones you took advantage of, the ones you should have taken advantage of, the ones you didn't and where those have led you. He knows your IQ and your EQ. He takes it all into consideration, every morsel and every bit and every experience and every choice that you have ever made. He takes all of it into consideration. And after taking it all into consideration, in light of all of that, he has decided, and isn't this amazing, he has decided to still love you and still pursue you and still extend grace to you. Isn't that amazing? The Apostle Paul, looking back on the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, he understood himself as the biggest hypocrite, right? I've already mentioned what he wrote to Timothy, that he considered himself the worst of all sinners. Yeah, I'm worse than the emperor in Rome who was killing people in the Colosseum, hundreds of people every single day. I'm worse than all of those people. I am the worst of all sinners. Here's the one who wrote this. God demonstrates. He didn't say or right? No, he demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. And now the verb tense is actually really important here because I cannot get my mind around this. Paul recognized while writing this letter, he was way north of Jerusalem in Galilee as he was writing this letter to the Romans, and he lived around the same time as Jesus. He recognized that at the very same time that Jesus was dying upon the cross for the sins of the world, that Paul was up in Galilee sinning. That as Paul was committing the sins that he was committing, Jesus was paying for those sins as he was committing them. Nailing them to the cross, the very sins that he was committing at that very moment. He understood grace in a way that I'm not sure we can. Because as he was still sinning, Christ died for the sinner. And I think that if you would have written this statement with you in mind and with me in mind and the future in mind, he maybe would have written it this way. God demonstrates his own love for you in this. Knowing ahead of time the sins that we would commit and confess and repeat and confess again, Christ died for us anyway. Because that's what grace does. God was able to take your whole story, your whole experience, every bit and morsel and everything that has ever gone into the way that you have lived your life, all of it into account. And he gave you what you deserved least, but what you needed most. He gave you his grace. And then he says to each of us, come on, you know, like I just want you to do for others now what I have done for you. The grace that has been showered in abundance upon you, I just want you to turn and give that in abundance as well. But to be clear, here's what Jesus is saying. You know, thinking that I'm just going to leave, you know, this message and try to be a nicer person, that's not the point. Thinking that you're just going to walk away and try to be a kinder person, that's not the point. First, he says, he gives us a list. Before you try to figure out how to extend grace to someone else, because you'll never do that until, first, you take the plank out of your own eye. And then, and only then will you see clearly enough to know how to extend grace to those who do not deserve grace, but what you have been called to extend to them because it has been extended to you. We will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so the question is, my friends, what are the planks that you're carrying around? What are the planks you're carrying around? You know, what do you have a hard time with? What is it about that person that actually maybe reflects something about me? What are the planks you're carrying around? What are the sins? What are the things that you are blind to in your own life that you are unwilling to even acknowledge that are inhibiting you from extending grace to other people? Because grace, I'm sorry, planks will always get in the way of grace. And so here's my version of the question. My version's shorter, his is better. You got planks? <laughs> you got planks? Jesus would say, you know what, if you were to be honest with yourself, you probably have some planks. You probably have some things in your life that you've kept hidden away and locked away and you don't want to be revealed. You have some things in your life that you have yet to, uh, that you keep concealed because you're embarrassed of how they're going to be, you know, interpreted in the world. You are embarrassed of these things and so you keep them locked away. But these are inhibitors of you from actually extending grace to the people who need it most. You got planks? I think one of the ways that we understand this and know this is if you look ahead to that relationship that you're about to encounter, that party you need to go to, that dinner party, right? That holiday, that meeting, that occasion that you were just dreading because you know that person is going to be there. 
that person who has done so much harm to you, that person who has hurt you so much, that person who has left so much baggage in your life. You got that encounter coming up. Here's the thing, you're not going to dread that occasion or that meeting or that party as much as you will see it as an opportunity to do something amazing if you recognize what has been done on your behalf. An opportunity to do for someone what they wouldn't do for you because of what they have done to you, but you have this opportunity now to extend to them something that has been extended to you, the grace of God, and it might change them and it will change you, and it's brilliance. It's the brilliance of Jesus' teaching that comes out, and it's, it's, it's really really incredible. And essentially the point of it all is to say that the more that I am aware of what yet God is yet to do in me, the more that I am aware of what God is yet to do in me, the more time I spend in the mirror of God's word, the more time I spend reading the messages and the activity of Jesus, the more I am aware of what God is yet to do in me, the more I spend on my own planks and my own issues and my own sins and my own failures and my own insecurities, the more I take attention to those than the more or the less aware I am of what he has yet to do in you. And isn't this true? That the more aware that we become of what God has yet to do in us, the less aware we are going to be of what he has yet to do in other people. And we won't be so judgmental. And we won't be so condemning. And we will be far more grace-filled. My friends, this is so amazing to me. So amazing to me. This is why the Christian message is so amazing. That in spite of who I am, in spite of all that I've done, God has come to be with me and dwell among me, and not only that, pursue me in his great love and die upon a cross for my sake. And in spite of who I am, he has done all this, and we are invited then to do some in spite of relational building with those who have hurt us. And it's not going to be effective until we first take the plank out of our own eye. And isn't it interesting that God was more brokenhearted over our sin than he was disgusted by it? That he was filled with compassion rather than disgust as he looked upon us? That as he recognized how hurt we were because of how far we were from him, that he embraced us in compassion rather than offense and in disgust? And I, I I wonder... If our mentality were to shift in a similar regard, would we stop seeing people who are hurting us and hurting others? Would we stop seeing them with disgust and would we start seeing them with compassion? Because isn't it true that those who are far from God hurt and those who are far from God hurt others? But God came near so that sinners might be reconciled to him. It's incredible. It's amazing. Jesus drew near even though we by choice had been far from him. Jesus didn't take sides. Jesus came alongside, except there was an exception. There was a group of people that Jesus did not come alongside. There was one group of people that Jesus consistently had problems with. And the group of people that Jesus had the most problem with were the people who presented a graceless religion. Religious people whose planks made it impossible for them to see others the way that God saw them. And I don't want to be one of those people. And I don't want to be a church full of one of those people. My friends, I've been one of those people. When I first came to faith in Jesus Christ, I was one of those people who saw myself as so mighty and so righteous, and I was so elevated above everybody else because I did everything right, and I followed all the rules, and grace was a meaningless term to me because I never sinned, and I was never a failure, and I did everything right. 
And I looked down on everybody from my high tower, and I saw planks in everybody's eyes, and there wasn't even a speck of dust in mine. And my friends, that is such a horrible way to live your life. I've been there. I've tried it. It is not a good place to be in. But the truth is that when grace is up front, there is something very attractive about grace. Isn't there? Isn't it actually the fact that the, the people that you like the most and the people that you're so, uh, you know, most attracted to are the ones who wear grace out front? The ones who are most graceful, the ones who wear grace upon their sleeves? And so Jesus said that, uh, John, John said that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And so a question I want you to wrestle with is, what are you full of? Or maybe a different way to ask the question is, you know, when you are shaken by the world. When that person who has hurt you comes into proximity to you, when the world is irritating and frustrating, what are you full of and what comes then out of you? When that person who has hurt you in the past comes close to you, are you full of anger and bitterness and apathy and desires for revenge? Is that what comes out of you when you are shaken by the world? You know came out of Jesus? He was shaken by the world, right? Um, a bunch of people came and said, crucify him. Yeah, he's never done anything wrong. He's only been loved, the manifestation of love. They wanted to crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And then they nailed him to a cross and they killed him in the worst form of death that they could conjure up in their day. They killed him upon a cross that was meant for slaves and criminals. And do you know what came out of Jesus? A whole lot of truth and a whole lot of grace. A whole lot of compassion and a whole lot of love. So when you're shaking up, what comes out of you? What are you full of? And not just what are you full of, what are we full of as a congregation, as a people who represent Jesus? Is when people look at us and when they think of this building and they think of this gathering of people, when they see our logo and our brand out in the community, what do they think of? Because the church is most appealing when grace is most apparent. And one of the reasons that you're going to invite people to church and they will not want to come with you and they won't want nothing to do with the church is because they've never experienced the grace of God within the church. And they've never experienced the grace of God from a Christian. They've only experienced the self-righteous mask that we tend to put on. And they do not want to repeat their experience. But here's what we've learned, and here's what we're aspiring to. The church is always most appealing when grace is most apparent. And we are the church every single day, everywhere we go. I'm going to invite Kate forward, and we're going to reflect on this as we sing one final song together to conclude our service. So are you ready to remove a plank? You guys got some planks? You got some planks this morning? You ready? You ready to remove some planks? Are you willing to remove a plank so that you can see clearly in order to benefit and give grace to people around you? People who may not deserve it, certain people, people who haven't earned it, are you willing to extend to them grace because you have been given grace? Are you willing to look at the sawdust in other people and consider your own issues the planks? Is there a plank that is keeping you from extending grace to someone in your life where grace might be the change agent for them? Maybe that's some of your story. Maybe someone embraced you with grace. You didn't deserve it. You certainly hadn't earned it. You had done great harm to somebody, but they extended grace to you. Maybe that's what convinced you that Jesus was who he said he was and that the church is something that you could give a try. My friends, it could change their life. If you extended grace as you have received grace, it could change their life. I certainly believe that.
But if you are still superior to sinners like you, I mean, come on, like, they just got a different list of sins, right? We're all sinners. I think you've lived long enough to know that maybe what irritates you the most in people, maybe what frustrates you the most in people is actually a reflection of that same issue within yourself, right? Oftentimes, isn't it something in them reflecting something in us that irritates us the most? My friends, we're all sinners. We are all in need of the amazing grace of God. Every single one of us. We are the ones with the planks. Consider your own sin as planks. Consider their sin as sawdust. And you have been forgiven of all of the planks. And so cannot you extend that same grace to the people in your life? That is what we are called to do. And Jesus would say, as we celebrate each and every Sunday what God has done for us on our behalf, in spite of what we've done, that we must take time to reflect on the planks and the sin within our own life. See, Jesus was full of grace, and he extended grace to every single person he encountered, but he was not devoid of the truth, right? He called sin, sin, and sinners, sinners, and then he went and died for the sinners and paid for their sin. And so let's do this. Let's do this. If, if the amazing grace of God is an invitation for us to be amazing, my friends, don't you want to be amazing? Don't you want to be amazing? And guess what? If we extend grace in the same capacity that God has extended grace to us, my friends, that is your pathway to being amazing. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were a church of grace-filled, overflowing, abundant, grace-giving people? I pray that can be the case, my friends. Let's do this. Let's be amazing.